Hey friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast, where each week we talk about four rhythms that help you reduce stress and anxiety and take charge of your emotional health. Rest, restore, connect, create. These ideas come from Rebecca's best-selling book, Rhythms of Renewal, trading stress and anxiety for a life of peace and purpose. So grab your copy, invite your friends, and let's live in rhythm. Hi, I'm Gabe Lyons, and I'm so glad that you are joining with us today. We're going to have an incredible conversation in just a moment about one of those tensions that's so difficult for all of us to balance. How do we work well, work hard, be successful at work, but also be great parents, great mates, and spouses, and friends? And so today we're going to get into that conversation with Megan Hyatt Miller. But before we do, I just want to encourage you, Rebecca and I are coming off of an amazing week last week where... We were able to host our 15th annual Q Ideas event, our Culture Summit, and it was an incredible time, 40 conversations around some of the most important topics and issues of our time. We talked about mental health, we talked about suicide, but we also talked about the future and technology, and we delved into topics of racism and systemic injustice and how do we redeem systems and people. We, we talked about um, ideas about the future and, and how we can think about Scripture well, how we can think about Revelation with Matt Chandler, and so many conversations that aren't happening in a lot of places. We talked about the pandemic, the effect of lockdowns. We discussed the very difficult conversation to have in our culture right now, gender identity, and spoke with a teenager who'd experienced a lot of gender dysphoria, and you get to hear her story firsthand. But all of that's still available. If you're interested in it, you can go to qideas.org slash culture summit. You can get a virtual pass and allow you to watch any of those talks or all of them. But the feedback has just been great that people are encouraged that these conversations are still happening, that you can have these kind of open dialogues about difficult things. And as we move into today's conversation, Rebecca and I sit down with Megan Hyatt Miller. Her new book, When at Work, Succeed at Life, Five Principles to Free Yourself from the Cult of overwork is so important. And we're going to get into a conversation with her about how does she do it? What are all the ways that she's learned to be a successful CEO, but also an adoptive parent and somebody who's showing up in her life and her health and all of these different arenas. She co-wrote this book with Michael Hyatt, who we've had on a previous episode, but I think you're going to be encouraged. I think you're going to enjoy listening in now to our conversation with Megan Hyatt Miller. Hey, Megan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Rebecca and Gabe. It's so great to be on with y'all. Yeah, we just are grateful uh, for your voice, for all the great work you do uh, with the Hyatt Company. And and we're excited for our listeners to get to just hear more a little behind the scenes about your life. Because mm-hmm. people, people who observe your work and the success of your company, they might have some misperceptions about how you got there. And I think, I think part of today is going to be unpacking a little bit behind the scenes of how you live your life, the kind of work culture you've created that allow people to flourish. And I think we're all going to learn a lot. Yeah. So for example, you and your father, Michael Hyatt, co-authored this book. And I know that you have, you know, been a huge part of this company for a long time. Will you take us back to like how you knew what you were made for, what you wanted to do, <laughs> how that played into like even working with your your father? Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I think probably like a lot of you guys listening, it was not a straight shot for me. You know, it was not some sort of step by step kind of thing where one day, you know, just logically I ended up here. Um, actually, it really began in 2011 when my husband Joel and I adopted 
adopted our two boys from Uganda. We have five children ages 20 to two now. Um, our youngest three are adopted. And so we adopted our middle boys. And I decided I was going to be a stay-at-home mom for a while. I thought, you know, these kids have some special needs. Um, you know, any children who are available for adoption come to you with some special needs. And I thought I really need to focus on them. And so I decided to stay home for what ended up being about nine months before I felt like, <laughs> okay, I need to add something else back in. This is pretty intense. You know, I need to see some grownups. And so I went to work part-time for my dad at that point. And our business was just rapidly scaling. He is the former chairman and CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, which is uh, the largest Christian publishing company in the world now, HarperCollins Christian Publishing. And so he left about the same time we adopted our our boys to start our business. And so things were just rapidly scaling. And at one point he came to me a couple of years later, I'm now working full time at this point, And he said, Hey, I really feel like the next step in our business growth is for you to take over as the chief operating officer, which will enable me to focus on some other areas in the business and projects and kind of futuristic um, things. And I think that would be, you know, the next step in our growth. And inside, I just kind of had this moment of, uh, you know, like <laughs> I want to say yes, right? Because everything has been leading up to this, albeit fairly unconventionally, you know, but I really feel like I can do this job. I can be a huge part of our future um, in this company. And yet at the same time, I'm looking at my kids and I'm thinking, I can't mess this up. You know, they need me and I need to be available to them after school because if they're going to get to a place where they're thriving and they're, you know, healed and all that kind of stuff from early trauma, then I'm going to have to be like, I can't delegate that, you know, right. it's got to be a mom. And so I went back to him, honestly, kind of with some trepidation. I said, dad, here's the thing. I think I can do this. I think I can do a great job at it. But the only way I can do it is if I can be done every day at 3.30. Uh, so I can pick the boys up from school and I can be present with them. I can't travel a lot. I can't be available at night for meetings with clients or whatever. You know, this is, I think I can get it done in the six and a half hours a day, but that's what it's got to be. What do you think? And he said, well, what I really care about is the results. So if you think you can do it, let's give it a try and see how it goes. And really, we've never looked back. You know, I've been doing that for years and years now. And I actually think that a big part of our success and particularly my success has been these seemingly unreasonable constraints in my life and the boundaries that I put in place have actually enabled me to be more successful because it forced better decision making and focus things that we really get into in this book. Yeah, I mean you you start off by setting these boundaries which I think for some people they're nervous to do because you know you you're at risk, you're being vulnerable. You're like I can't do everything and so much of our world expects everybody to do everything all the time. Right. So once you take the switch and go I'm going to turn it off. At this point you set a boundary and then the work culture sort of has to adjust to that. When you describe in your book, you talk about the double win, which is this idea of, of both work and life being in partnership. I feel like that's what you're giving us a little bit of the preview to right. is how you, you just decided these two things have got to work together. And if they don't, yeah. I'm not going to sacrifice my family. Well, and it's funny, in my case, it was... Uh, it was kind of a desperate decision in the sense that I don't know that I fully understood what I was asking. I mean, I, I just knew that this was a call I had to make for my family because the situation was, um, you know, there was a lot at stake with my kids. So I made a big call at that point. But looking back, you know, I think the choices we talk about this in the book that, you um, 
you know, the, the choices we're given in the world are kind of something we call the hustle fallacy, which is sort of, if you look at influencer culture or in these big dramatic examples, somebody like Elon Musk, you know, where uh, they're sleeping in their office, they're bragging about it. They haven't seen their kids in a long time. You know, that's his story kind of, but more normally, you know, for, for regular folks like us, it's like, well, I just have to work a little bit extra or, you know, a lot extra until I get this book out or until I get this business off the ground or until this uh, ministry objective is achieved, right? And the problem is that has a way of becoming not so temporary, more like permanent, you know? So that's that's one problem. And then we see the effects of that where you, it shows up in your health, it shows up in your most important relationships. And sometimes we can't fix those things. You know, the damage can be really significant. So then the flip side of that is what we talk about about in the book that we call the ambition break, which is where those of us, maybe we've either done that or we've seen somebody we cared about do that. And we're like, I don't want that. We hit this thing we call the ambition break where we say, okay, I guess I'm not going to reach my full potential in the world, my, you know, potential for impact, whatever. So I'm just going to tap that break, but at least I won't compromise my most important relationships, my health, things like that. And what we're really saying is, hey, we don't like either one of those choices. You know, what we think is that it's actually possible to get what we call the double win, which is winning at work and succeeding at life. We're not talking about doing it all, but we're saying there's not enough time to do everything, but there is enough time to do the most important things. If you're clear, on what those are. Right. And I think that's the caveat. If you're clear on what those are. I mean, to me, that's the heavy lifting. A lot of times people just running after opportunity after opportunity because they all sound great. And I am mm-hmm. talking about myself. <laughs> like I've had to make that mistake actually and get to the on the verge of burnout. And my life coach, uh, Pete Richardson, uh, even reminded me in the last 18 months, he said, if you see symptoms, you better pay attention because if you actually truly experience burnout, out, you won't return to that kind of work, that line of work. And that was really sobering for me because if you actually truly experience it, you're just, you're done. And, and I think what this book is about is longevity. The older I get, the more passionate I get about longevity of like, what are the keys to longevity? If you're doing the thing you love with the people you love, you want to keep doing that. But, but what you're, what you're describing is you've got to actually be crystal clear on what is the tip of the arrow for you. So how did you, did you already kind of innately know that? Or when you decided, yes, we're going to go full tilt here, but this means I got to get laser focused on what matters most. Was that kind of more in that season or had you already kind of been wired for that? For people out there who are like, I'm I'm not that organized. How would I begin? I was not that clear on it before this kind of moment of decision with my dad happened. And I think the first part of that was being clear about what my kids needed because that was the absolute non-negotiable. So we talk about this in the book. You know, we talk about really the first principle to getting the double win in your own life and and kind of the corresponding practice is to define uh, your own double win. And for me, what that really looked like is that I defined my non-negotiables in three categories. And the uh, order is hierarchical. The first one is self-care. So the the thinking there is, gosh, we all know this because we've heard it a thousand times, you know, my ability to take care of other people and impact other people is directly related to how well I'm taking care of myself. I can't pour from an empty well, right? Um, but like 
so many things, everything is not a non-negotiable. You know, we all have to decide for ourselves and this looks different in different seasons of life. When we adopted our youngest daughter, who's now two, when we first brought her home, she was super premature and had some medical special needs and, you know, we weren't sleeping a lot. I mean, that looked really different. Self-care looked different in that season than it looks two years later. And certainly than it looked, uh, you know, when my boys were uh, in elementary school and all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, we have to remember that, but we have to decide what are the non-negotiables in terms of our self-care? What are the non-negotiables in terms of our relational priorities? Because we can't do it all. So what do you want to look back on and say that, you know, you won't have regret if you do these things, you know? And so like for me, um, that looks like I want to sit down with my kids at our kitchen table and have dinner five nights a week. Now, it's the fact that I'm sitting there, I'm looking in their eyes, I'm hearing about their day, what they're grateful for, what was their best thing. You know, it's kind of our little dinner table conversation every night. And that's something that's non-negotiable, just like a date night on Tuesdays for my husband, uh, Joel and me. So, you know, those are the things, uh, some of the things that are non-negotiables, but it's not everything. And then lastly, professional results. What professional results for you are non-negotiable? You know, for me, I know that means things like I've got to deliver as a CEO of our company, our annual budget. I've got to develop our executive team and I've got to develop the the future vision for our business. Those are my primary responsibilities and the results, the outcomes that I'm responsible for, but I can't do it all there either. You know, there's no place in my life where I'm able to do it all if I really want to win at work and succeed in life, but I can do the most important things. Yeah, so... I love that you've siloed this to three categories, self-care, relational priorities, and professional results. Um, And you are talking about how there's non-negotiables and then there are negotiables in in season, depending on like pressing the gas of the brake. I'm I'm listening to what you said, like if I just motor hard through these three months of travel and then they turn into a posture of always hustling, always motoring hard, like that's where you you are going to compromise in the relational priorities and also in the self-care. Or if you're just in self-care, but you're not, you're kind of letting those professional results go because you're like, well, I don't want to implode with my family. So then I'm just going to shrink back from what I feel like God's inviting me into professionally. So I guess, how do you determine the non-negotiables versus the negotiables in those three categories? Is it just by season or is it just like inherently there are some that are just never going to be negotiable and there's some that are always up for discussion? Well, I think it's probably both. I mean, I, I think first of all, you know, I would say, for example, sleep is one of my non-negotiables. And at the same time, I know when our daughter was in those early months of her life, it became negotiable because what else are you going to do? Right. So there are seasonal influences that direct that one way or the other. However, I think that we have to ask the question, what do I need to perform at my best? You know, when I think about self-care, what do I need to perform at my best? Knowing that it can't be everything, knowing that you may not have two hours or even an hour to be in the gym every day, you know, knowing that you're going to have to eat out some because that's just kind of your life, you know, being realistic about the limitations in your life, but also saying, what do I need? And for me, that looks like sleep. That looks like planning food for the day because I am one of those people that's very inclined to skip meals or get too hungry and then make choices that don't make me feel good, you know? And so that's really important for me as well as drinking water and moving my body. You know, those are like really basic things. And so like if I was in a really intense season um, where for whatever reason I couldn't do my full workout routine, which is about 35 to 45 minutes every morning, maybe I would walk for 15 minutes or maybe that's where I would start. That is where I started, you know, when 
I started that. That was that was the season of life that I was in. So I don't think this is about, in fact, it can't be about setting a bar that you can only reach on the most perfect of days. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I, last night I was in the ER with my 10-year-old son who broke his wrist at a football camp. And, you know, like dinner got scrambled, like everything went kind of haywire because we were in the ER and that's just life. That stuff happens. So we have to have these non-negotiables that are reasonable even when life is busy. Wow. I'm sorry about that. Then in ER well, visit with our kids, life, right? it's the worst. Yeah. I know. So, I know. <laughs> I still have my, Rebecca, I was showing the kids the other night, I broke my arm in eighth Ooh. grade, my wrist, and I um, Ooh. Yeah. I did I did the unthinkable. I've saved the cast. It's so weird. I still have the oh, cast. Wow. It's in my, so, no, wow. it's gross. Said, Isn't wow. that disgusting? It is, um, it is gross. A little bit unusual. But now I can show, I showed my son who's 18 yeah, the other day. Like it's and time to get rid of that. It was, it was all those signatures. You remember back in the day when, yeah. when you'd get all those messages? I just yep. didn't part with it, but... <laughs> Disgusting. I get that. So, get so that. hopefully your son will hang on to his cast, get some great signatures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we'll you put it in be, a shadow box. Can, <laughs> a shadow box. He can definitely creep out his wife and, and kids uh, down the road. Yeah, that's, that's not to be underestimated. <laughs> hey friends, as we look ahead to the hopefulness of spring, I want to share with you about some children beginning their education in the African nation of Rwanda. Rwanda is part of my story, and through the years, you may have heard me talk about my visit there with an organization called Africa New Life. Each year, Africa New Life helps 40 preschool children through the support of people like us. They provide these children with safe childcare and a daily rhythm while their mothers are learning new employable skills during the day. These young ones with hardworking but struggling mothers have room to play, learn, and grow in their daycare setting. We know how important the early years are for an entire lifetime of learning and living, and with our help, These future leaders have a very strong start. Would you consider a donation to Africa New Life daycare program? Any donation today helps create an environment focused on nutrition, education, and play for little ones tomorrow. $6 provides a year's worth of clean water for one daycare student. $16 provides a year's worth of vitamins. Come on, guys. Those multivitamins that we're giving our kids, they need them in Rwanda as well. All gifts help these young children grow up. If you're ready to lay the foundation for this healthy life for both children and their mamas, visit africanewlife.org slash RFL podcast to give health and hope this spring. You talk and describe in this book how COVID came along and you're you're already in this kind of a rhythm that that now could help so many people because so many people now had to scramble and figure out, okay, how am I going to balance this? Because all of a sudden, all the rules change. I don't have to be at the office from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. I am home now. I now and, and now a lot of people are re-entering into some semblance of a, of a different kind of work life. And I feel like you have some great teachings and learnings from your last year as well about what you've done in your company that might help some of the people listening today. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think if 2020 showed us anything is that the, the hard lines between professional and personal that we thought existed absolutely do not. You know, it's way less bento box and way more just plate of spaghetti. You know, it's just all there together. It's kind of messy. And I think that as, you know, leaders, as employers, we had to figure out, okay, how do we make more room for people's personal needs um, to be considered as we're considering what our company needs as well? So like everybody else, we were trying to figure out many of those things. The good news for us is we were already working remotely. We already had these priorities around what we call intentional margin, one of our um, company values. And so what happened though, about April, about, um, you know, the time when we're recording this, is that people came to us and they said, guys, we know how to work remotely. 
we don't know how to work remotely when daycare's closed and we're doing uh, remote school with our kids and we can't go to the grocery store. Remember way back then we weren't sure if we could go to the grocery store. (laughs) It's like so many things we just didn't know. And so they were overwhelmed. You know, there was so much anxiety about what was happening. And so we said, okay, we got to make a change. They're telling us that working eight hours feels like working 16 hours. We need to do something different. And we'd kind of always wanted to do an experiment. What would happen if in the company, we shortened our workday to something that looked more like what I had been doing all these years because I knew that it worked for me. And I figured, gosh, if it can work for me, it probably work for everybody else. So we went ahead and shifted in an experiment to a six hour workday, nine to three, really as a crisis response strategy. And what we found as we have gone through that experiment and ultimately decided, hey, we're going to continue working toward this and make it permanent is that, um, not only was it good for people's personal lives, for sure. All of a sudden they had the margin they needed to attend to their kids and, you know, maybe have time to work out and get outside and just kind of be full people. Um, But we actually saw the results, the operating results in our business improve. So not only were people more productive and all that, but in the end, we had a pretty aggressive profit goal for the year, which we weren't sure if we were going to be able to hit or not given COVID. We weren't sure what the impact would be on our business. We actually exceeded it by 50%. Wow. I, I mean, it's pretty amazing, amazing. with 25% less time. Now, I want to also say- Are you guys hiring? Because I'm, I'm looking for a job. Yeah, no, actually, we're hiring 25 people this year. So <laughs> yeah, come on over. We could use you. Um, you know, but I know a lot of folks had major impact in their business and their uh, organizations. So I don't want to minimize that or just kind of make it sound like, you know, I'm oblivious to those challenges. We had clients that were hit really hard and, you know, appreciate that. But I think it's a good case study and just what's possible with constraints, which is one of the big themes- of the book is that constraints drive uh, creativity, innovation, and freedom. And that has certainly been the case for us and for our clients. Yeah. No, I love, love, love this. So I have had to make this decision as well to be done with my workday by 3.30. And partly even to take my own personal, if I'm traveling that weekend to teach, so if I know if I'm flying out Friday and I can't come back till Saturday, at, then I have to take one day from 9 to 3 at home for myself. That's my Sabbath, I guess, because that's usually when I'm reading and studying. So, But that for me doesn't really feel like work. It's, it's just very life giving. But then also outside, walking, recreation, meeting a friend for lunch, whatever that looks like. And so I, I was kind of like you and going, people kept saying, how do you, how do you have, we have four children, you have five children. We both have children with special needs. We've got like just a full plate. And if you're in growth mode, that can also feel like an even fuller plate. But what I found just like you counterintuitively that the more strategic I was with like, I love it's kind of like batching your work and and like what you're saying yes to, like a day for this, a day for this, a day for this, and kind of being really smart with those hours, I think is the strategy. Because like you said, like freedom comes in constraint and people don't really realize that. It really actually forces these guardrails around your, your, your schedule and goes like, okay, if I know I'm most innovative in that first couple hours for writing, I'm going to give it to that. If I know early in the week is best for meetings or, um, you know, maybe another day in the week is best for um, just conversations or interviews or whatever that looks like. Is that kind of how you, because I'm I'm still, I remember interviewing your father like a year ago 
And he said, I worked the least amount of hours last year than I've ever worked. We made the most money we've ever made. And I was just like, yep, we're listening. We're all paying attention to that. Um, because I think what you're tapping into, which I'm such an advocate for, is this whole person, a whole person that comes to the table creatively, uh, vocationally, relationally, physically, um, emotionally, spiritually, right? You're bringing this whole person to the table that's not operating in a deficit over here and is trying to kind of come up with something out of scarcity. Is that what you are kind of finding as a culture? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we talk in the book that there are really 10 domains of life. And the problem with this kind of uh, what we call the cult of overwork in the book is that it assumes there's really only one orientation of life and that's work. And that's not even good for our work. You know, the quality of work, you know, if you're a professional athlete, if you're Tom Brady or Serena Williams, if all they did was train for their sports, their, their ability to perform would be diminished. They would overtrain, they would be injured, they, their careers would be shortened. You know, it's really critical if you study their lives. You know, I think about Tom Brady most recently because there's been a lot of reporting on this. What he does when he's off is as important, if not more important than what he does when he's playing or training. You know, he is very serious about his time outside of work. And I think that we need to kind of elevate our thinking about ourselves that we need the same kind of mindset as we think about how are we going to perform at the highest level? How are we going to contribute? Maybe it's even a better word at the highest level. And what we really advocate for in the book is, you know, once you've established these non-negotiables, once you have uh, clarity about how you're going to constrain your work day, you know, like you were talking about, Rebecca, that could be 3.30, that could be 3, that could be 5, 6. It's not so important what the time is. It's important that you have hard edges. But then to take your non-negotiables within those hard edges and actually schedule them so that they don't get crowded out by all the last minute, urgent, maybe not important, you know, things that are distracting that want to pull you away from the things that matter most, you know, and I'm, I'm not just talking about in your personal life. This is even, you know, probably more important, really, in your professional life. How are you going to spend those professional hours so that you can do this without compromising your results? Because if I was sitting here saying, you know, you can have this amazing life balance, but you're going to have to cut your results in half. I mean, no one wants to sign up for that. You know, that's, that's not a good uh, trade, but I think the way you have both is that you schedule what matters in all parts of your life. And that's probably what my dad talked to you about when he was um, yeah. with you. Well, and Megan, you guys have famously created and brought back to life the planner idea and people really getting, getting clear on their priorities. So I think it'd be helpful for people to understand just a little bit of the philosophy behind that, because if you're saying, Hey, we need to pack more into less hours, you can only do that if you're being efficient. So give us a little breakdown of why the planner helps and and how the planner is structured. Yeah. So we have um, this planner product called the Full Focus Planner. And a couple of things about it. One, you know, what the way that you schedule what matters is in a tool that we have called the Ideal Week, which is in that planner. And you basically create a template for what kind of your ideal week, not not idealistic, but, you know, like if, if everything could go, you know, more or less according to plan, here's how you would lay out those non-negotiables in your week so that you have time to accomplish all the things that matter most. And so that's kind of what you would use as your guideline to 
schedule your weeks. Now, from there, what you want to think about is being as clear on how you're going to spend your time in your week and in your days as you are with these non-negotiable non-negotiables. I think it really all goes back to clarity. You know, we can't really be efficient unless we have clarity around what matters. And so in this uh, planner, we take you through a process that is called the weekly preview, where you look at your calendar, you're looking at what, um, you know, the goals that you have for the year that you're focused on maybe for that quarter. And you're asking yourself, what outcomes do I need to accomplish this week? What, what we call it the big three for the week. You know, what are my weekly big three that I need to accomplish? And if I don't get anything else done, what is mission critical? And so that gives you the clarity at kind of a 10,000 foot view, you know, then when you get into planning your individual days, you open up your planner and there's the big three for the day. So what are my daily big three? What are my, the discrete tasks that I need to accomplish today? Now, knowing I can't do it all. I'm not going to get through 40 tasks on a, you know, kind of like a long list that I'm carrying around. If I can only get three done, and we understand you're probably doing more than three, but what are the big three that you have to get accomplished that are going to move those weekly big three forward? That's how you really keep yourself focused on what matters most. And I think that this is um, just becomes a practice of exercising clarity, which then enables you to focus uh, so that you don't lose track and kind of get tossed around on the waves of other people's priorities, uh, you know, what the world says you should be focused on or the distractions that just come in and out of your day. Oh, yeah, it's so good. And, and what you're describing here is an intentional life versus a reactionary life. Exactly. Right? That's right. Where you reclaim your day before it claims you. <laughs> yeah. Which that happens before we even know it, doesn't it? It just gets hijacked. And understanding that it still will get hijacked. You'll still be in the ER with a broken arm, unfortunately, exactly. <laughs> because that's yep. life. But you're able to be more resilient in general because you've actually already proactively established what what that weekly rhythm, like the word I use is rhythm, because it's like, you know, what? even if you have a day where you kind of fall out of rhythm, you know what, you get the you get the chance to reboot tomorrow morning, right? That's like the rhythm of a, a new mercy every morning is kind of the greatest gift of God, thankfully. Oh, well, I just want to um, just affirm all you're doing and just just so thankful that you're talking about this, uh, especially for women who are in the workplace and at home, really being intentional about how they use their time wisely with their families and their work, because you you are required to juggle and do it in a way that is graceful, gracious, and intentional. And I think it helps just disrupt the whole animosity around whether women are working inside the home uh, full time or or splitting that with working in a in a workplace and at home, and uh, I think this is just a real beautiful way to approach it tactically that just says, hey, it's not going to be perfect, but these are guardrails. These are tools to help you get on board with this. So thank you so much for being a part of this and bringing all the wisdom that you guys have learned um, over these last few years. Well, thank you guys. This has been just a real treat to talk about. I feel like we're kindred spirits and getting this kind of a message out into the world. And hopefully what people experience as they are listening to your podcast, as they're hopefully having a chance to read this book, is a sense of relief and a sense of hope, you know, that there that it is possible to live a life without regret and um, where there's space and time for the things that, that matter most. And it doesn't feel so exhausting and kind of oppressive. You know, I think there's really another way. And I'm so glad you guys are talking about that too. Well, thank you, Megan, and everybody listening. Her new book, Win at Work, Succeed at Life, 
Five Principles to Free Yourself from the Cult of Overwork. So thank you and thank your father for us. And we're going to be cheering you on as you take this message to so many people. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks again for having me on, guys. I hope you enjoyed listening in. I just thought it was so practical, so helpful to hear how she balances her life. And I'm telling you, man, the planner that they created has been a game changer for so many people. So many of our friends are using that religiously. It's a way that they prioritize their life. They use it to make sure they're staying on task with the things that are most important. And and I think that's so important for us to remember, especially in the rhythms conversation. It's easy from week to week to just get out of balance and to not retain and keep working through these rhythms in a way that they're helping us balance out all of the ways in which we can quickly get off course. And so I hope today is just another encouragement that you're on the right track, that you don't have to give up family in order to pursue your creativity or your work, that we can do all of this, but we can do it only when we practice these rhythms. And so we hope you have a wonderful week as you continue to live out these rhythms in your life. 